0: Happy May, May is my favorite month, because days are getting longer, days are getting warmer, humidity's not up yet, mosquitoes aren't out yet, and then when you live in central Ohio, it all goes sideways, but in my head, May is great, in my head. Uh, I want to start today by asking you a question, um, have, you ever, have you ever tried to bargain with God, Come on. You ever tried to bargain with him? Found yourself in a position where you say, God, okay, if you get me out of this, I promise, and then you fill in the blank. You say, God, God, do this for me. Do this for me, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to change this. I'm going to do that. I promise I'm going to get things right. I'm going to change something. Have you ever done that? Well, we say, you know, that's the kind of thing kids do. They try to bargain with God. Because no one who's a mature adult who knows better would find themselves in a position where the team somehow sneaks into the World Series and they say to God, God, please, if you let my team win, I will never ask you for anything ever again in my entire life. No one would do that, right? no. And those who try, find out that this is something that's true. God does not make deals. He doesn't. You know why? Because, first of all, it's just not his way. Secondly, there's not a whole lot that you could offer him that he really needs. Now, if you have tried to make a deal with God, you've bargained with him, and you said some things to him, and you made some promises to him, And something that you wanted to see happen, happened. The Bible actually talks about, it says, says, fulfill your vows. If you make vows, fulfill them. Don't forget them. God's still going to hold you accountable for that. But understand something. He he wants to make this very clear. He didn't do it because he was making a deal with you. Because God doesn't make deals. Today we're going to see the closest thing you can find, I think, in the Bible to God making a deal. He makes covenants, but this is the closest thing you'll find to him making a deal deal and it's found in philippians chapter 2 we we'll be going through the book of philippians I invite you to take a look with me philippians chapter 2 paul the apostle writing from prison where he has been suffering but he's got a perspective that everybody who's watching him would like to know how did you find the secret how did you find the perspective of having contentment how did you find joy this thing is full it's a key theme of philippians is finding joy and rejoicing and we want to know i want to know how did you get this how do i get it Paul, in writing back to his friends who in the church he helped that he planted, gives some perspective to them about how they can live up to the potential of what that God has given them to be. When he gets to Philippians chapter two, he gives—we're just going to look at two verses today—and in these two verses, he he kind of gives this deal. What you're going to see is in verse 12 of philippians 2. He's going to tell us what your part of the deal is And then philippians the next verse 2 13. He's going to tell you what his he'll do what his part of the deal is So i'm, just going to read the whole thing to you and then we're going to kind of pause on it and take a look So here it is philippians 2 12 to 13. Therefore my dear friends As you've always obeyed not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Real simple today. Here's the deal. You do part of your, we do our part of the deal. And then God will do his part of the deal. What's our part of the deal? Verse 12, again, says, as you have obeyed not only in my presence, but now not much more in my absence, he uses this phrase. Continue, this is perpetual in the verbiage here. Keep doing this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that phrase that he uses there, to work something out, means this. It, it means to kind of press something out of you from the inside to manifest it. There's something that's been embedded, and, and this, is, this is working it out. If you ever, if you go, they talk about working out a cold or working out a sweat. Well, this is working out something that's been put in you. In other words, it could it could say this way: since a new life has been given to you by Jesus Christ, so he's talking, by the way, to followers of Jesus here. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, come along, check him out. Here's what here's part of what you're going to discover when you cross the line and you say to him, "I need you in my life. I'm going to trust you to give me redemption from my sins, payment for my sins, eternal life." When you do that, here's something that's going to happen: is since a new life has been given in, inside you, choose to engage in ways that develop it, that press it out. The Bible's got this theme throughout. That In, in 2 Timothy 1, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, for this re- reason I remind you to, and he uses this phrase, fan uh, uh, into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. Make, f- make it, manifest it, make, uh, heighten it, bring it out to its fullest. In, in Ephesians 4, he, he says this, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to, and he uses this phrase, it's used more than once in the New Testament, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, he's not saying work for your salvation. You're not working in order to get God to give it to you. It's working it out. He, since he's already given it to you, it was handed to you freely. He's given you a new life. Now, take some action, take some initiative, and press it out for me. Match your action, your actions to a position that you've been given. You've been given mad skills. Let's see you use them. A lot of times, and some students are going to get this uh, right now at the end of the school year, or they'll sometimes they'll get in parent-teacher conference where they say, you know, that student is incredibly intelligent, incredibly gifted. What they just need to do is, they use this phrase, right, they need to apply themselves. You need to apply yourself. In other words, you know, kind of grow up a little bit if you would just kind of focus a little bit, you could accomplish a whole lot if you would just apply yourself. You've got the skills, you've got the something within you, you've got the potential. But if you could just focus and, and just pour it out, something good is, is gonna happen. So your part, here's the deal. If God's saying, here's the deal, your part is this. Your part is to choose, initiate, to enact God-directed steps in your life to, to act like you have a new life. To, to have a God-directed life that shows in your choices. To, to, to use an old Bible word, to choose righteousness. Put righteousness into practice out of your life right now. In the situation you're in, you choose righteousness. And when you do, that's going to come out in, in ways like your moral choices. And your ethics. Having, having a character that kind of mirrors Jesus Christ. We just saw that, didn't we, in F- last week in Philippians 2. L- have the same attitude within you that you see in Jesus. That same humility and servanthood. So choose things that put that into practice, that mirror that character. Choose things that show you have a new purpose in your life. Look, you're no longer a slave. There's a, an amazing principle that God gives to the freedom that we have. We sing about it when we worship. We are bound to sin when we don't know him. We're bound. You can't not sin when when he's not in your life. When when the presence and the freedom and the new life of Jesus Christ comes into life, it opens up the possibility, now I can choose something different. I don't have to choose my own nature. I don't have to choose my own impulses. I can actually choose another alternative. It's not going to come naturally to me. But I've got an option now. I'm not bound, imprisoned by my sin anymore. I can choose righteousness. So your part is to choose that, to enact it. This was more re- recently, uh, Queen Elizabeth II had her 90th birthday, which we are all fascinated with in this country, and I'm not sure why, but hey, you know, good for her. Uh, she's 90. A few years ago, actually a little while ago now, probably more than a decade ago, was reminded of the fact that she, uh, she has you know two grandsons um and this, the younger of the grandsons is prince harry of wales and prince harry was a little wild hot eyed redheaded not that there's anything wrong with being redheaded <laughs> teenager and when he got to be college age he was making some choices and kind of pictures were taken you might remember some of that some things happened in las vegas and some other places and it has been said That something happened he went back to england and queen elizabeth asked him for some time and the queen you know i i mean you don't mess with that lady i saw her take on james bond i think once (laughs) and what they say is that she sat down and she basically told him in no uncertain terms here's the deal you are a prince and royalty in this country you are bearer of this the name You are in line for the throne of England. It could be yours. You are royalty. Start acting like it. Now, I don't know all that everything Prince Harry has done since then, but it was amazing how quickly some of his behaviors altered. Because she said, in essence, she called him out. She said, you are a carrier of something that is true of you. You just need to start acting like it's true of you. paul is going to call on followers you say look here you want do you would you like to see the best god can make your life to be okay now just pause there do you would you and I, i'd say yeah i'd kind of like to see what that would look like for me he says okay first of all work out your salvation you've been given something now make choices that sh- that reflect what's tr- already true in you that you're forgiven that you're righteous that you're That you are a bearer of the name of the the Son of God. Go into your world and start pressing that out from inside. You make choices that are consistent with that. You make choices that that's your part in this. Now, there's a couple other phrases that get used here. Did you notice in verse 12 he says, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He's highlighting something. He, He knows something. There's the old expression, When the cat's away, the mice play. Paul was the representative of Jesus and he planted this church. While he was there, great, great things were coming. But now he's, now he's in prison. He's a long way away. He's writing this letter from Rome and he's saying, now, it was true of you when I was there, but now much more in my absence do this thing. See, we have a tendency, don't we, to behave a little bit more when we know an eye is on us. I mean, it's true, you know, this is why those of you who substitute teach you go you, sh- you don't get paid enough whatever you get paid because the teach the main teacher's gone and everybody takes liberties when somebody else's watch is there when the boss is away things are different in the office often than when he's not when he's present it's just human nature when you When you're driving down the road, you know, how many times have you seen this? You're driving down the freeway and you're going at freeway and all of a sudden everybody, all of a sudden everybody's slowing down. You go, what's going on? And then you see there's a friend of ours parked in between. And suddenly everybody decides, you know what? I think I might just take my foot off the accelerator. I wonder what came over us. There's, when we see who, somebody who can hold us accountable, we tend to alter our behavior out of a little bit of fear, if not respect. And Paul says, Look, I'm not with you. But I, this needs to be true. It needs to come from within you. Not because somebody's watching you. Not because somebody's going to get you in trouble with God. I, I crack up, you know, I'm a pastor, and, and people don't know it sometimes, and I'm in a sporting event or something, and, people, and then somebody will mention that I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden somebody will go, Oh, I'm so sorry, Reverend, for my language and my behaviors. As if I'm sitting there with a notepad going, That's 12, and I'm going to take it over and go, It's God get him like it's just human nature we we carry that around with us two practical principles come come from around here don't be motivated or affected by who's watching and who's not let it be the same integrity means one thing it's you're one person regardless what the circumstances were that's why in colossians 3 also one of these prison epistles Paul Paul wrote and said, Slaves, obey your earthly matters and everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Don't be motivated or affected to do this pressing out of your salvation just because you know you might get in trouble with somebody if you don't, or because somebody else is watching. I I was mowing the lawn. I thought I was past this in my life, but I'm not. Apparently not. Because I'm mowing the lawn. It was really thick because in the spring, it looks better than it ever does fakes you out, makes you think you have a lush lawn, then by July it'll all be <laughs> and so I was out trying and it had gone too long and I was mowing the lawn. And this was just last week. And I'm and I'm mowing the lawn and I'm doing my what my typical posture is when I'm mowing the lawn, right? I don't have one of those automatic or you know the powered wheel things. And I and I'm pushing and I'm and I'm like I'm I'm kinda got the old I'm like I'm straining and I'm pushing and, and you know, I'm trying to get trudging through the and then I hear behind me, and I'm in the front yard, and I hear a, a car engine go by, and I see that it's the neighbor lady from a distance. And you know what I do? All of a sudden, I'm just like forced. I'm, act, I'm, I'm not sweating. This isn't so hard for me. I know what I'm doing. They go, she goes by, and then I'm back, back to this. I thought, what am I doing? Why, why would that happen? Well, it's because on some level, I kind of care what people think. I kind of do things motivated because how it, how it looks. So here's the deal, God says. Would you like me to do stuff in your life? Would you like me to form you and make you, me more like my son and optimize who you were intended to be? Would you like that? Okay, here's your part of the deal. Work out your salvation, even, no matter who's watching. So much more in my absence. And that phrase makes, makes us think of this other principle, which is don't become reliant on someone else or something else for your spiritual growth. Now I want you to pause and think about that for a minute. Guys in Philippi, don't become reliant on my being there or not for whether you do this. It should have nothing to do with this. Your spiritual growth needs to be from within you. Don't become reliant on that for your commitment level or for your growth. And what that means is that there are going to be times when you have somebody in your life or a group of people who keep you on track but they're not always going to be there. It's going to change. Mentors come and mentors go. There are times, here's the test, what happens when your mentor fails morally? What happens when they move away? What happens when the group that you've been counting on and kind of keeps you on track, well, it just kind of spreads out or goes a different way or or a cell group multiplies or or the person who kind of is at the center of what keeps you going, they're suddenly not in your life anymore. What's going to happen then? Much more in my absence make this true. See, here's the fact. It, this, we do discipleship around here. I hope you've been involved in it. We have a whole wall dedicated to coupling up and, and seeking and pursuing godliness together. We need to be in that kind of relationship. But there's something wrong if you feel like that person's always got to be there for you. Discipleship by design is temporary. Some, it's I do, we do, then you do. The next generation, you become the from you move from being disciple to becoming the discipler. If God moves the mentor out of your life, then not, don't just think, "What am I going to do now? I need another mentor." Maybe it's time for you to become the mentor. That's how His kingdom advances. That's how growth happens in us. Don't become dependent. Those of you who are in, in school, okay, got a bunch of students. All right, so we got a whole bunch of people in our youth group here. We got some college students here. Some of you are involved in campus ministries. You know how often it happens? You can talk to the leaders of ministries, how often it happens when people leave one ministry and move on from high school to college and all of a sudden they're gone spiritually. Or they're in the college ministry and, and they graduate from college and suddenly they just, they drift away. Often they've become dependent on the organization or the program. It's artificial. As you've always obeyed, Not just in my presence, but much more in my absence. If God pulls that away from you, it's time for you to initiate. The whole point of this is become a spiritual initiator. Don't wait for somebody to invite you. Don't wait for for God to do stuff. You take the step. He's put life within you. You know what it is to, to pursue him. Do it. You take that step. And then he uses this phrase. Continue to work it out. Work out your salvation with, this, with fear and trembling. You see that phrase? Fear and trembling. What's that mean? In Greek, the word, it, it's, a, it's actually a common phrase. It gets coupled a lot together. Yeah, it's fabus kaitramus. And it, it, it's, it actually is the word for phobia, fabus. And tramus is the word that we, from which we get tremor. And it's a phrase. It's kind of like that gets coupled to get together. It's like you know when we use the word shock and awe in our culture, or somebody's got vim and vigor. I always thought I've never heard the word vim used apart from having vigor with it. What's a vim? I don't know, but it's vim and vigor. Okay, I get what that means. This phrase gets used often in the, in the culture and in even in the Bible. In fact, here there are some uses in Second Corinthians seven. It's used to talk about how the, the church received Titus when Paul sent him as a representative of Jesus. It says, Titus' affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. Now, it doesn't mean they were shuddering in horror. It didn't mean that they thought something was going to get lost. Here's what that phrase tends to mean. It means to be gripped with an acute awareness of the tremendous privilege and responsibility that accompanies something. So when Titus came, they said, wow, we've got a privilege and a responsibility. They had fear and trembling. They treated him with respect and they, and they, they moved their lives around what was happening because he was there. This is about the workplace, similar kind of thing. This, we can apply this passage to the workplace because the slaves in those days were more like our, our common workers than they were what we picture in slavery in this country. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with, and here it is, fabus kaitramus fear and trembling and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey christ gripped with an acute awareness that that this situation presents me with tremendous privilege and responsibility in first corinthians 2 paul talked about how he came preaching and he said when i came to you brothers i didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as i proclaimed to you the testimony about god i came to you with same phrase weakness and fear is translated here and with much trembling I was gripped with an acute awareness of tremendous privilege and responsibility that comes with this. Paul says, "Now work out your salvation with an understanding. You've been given an amazing gift. I mean, few are chosen. The Bible says the followers of Je- the true followers of Jesus who have given, been given eternal life. That is an amazing gift. <laughs> Treat that with an, an awareness." that there is a privilege to being part of his family and there is a a responsibility that comes with it. And that responsibility is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to know God himself better. It's an opportunity to to optimize a purpose for living on planet Earth. When the whole world says, yeah, no one knows the meaning of life. No one knows. You know what? I do. I know the meaning of life. I know the meaning of my life. It is to know God is to glorify him to be all that he made me to be that's the purpose of my life i've got that privilege of knowing that wow that comes with a great amount of responsibility to find his best and to, to contribute to his kingdom when the when the guys who carry it, uh, the price waterhouse cooper's guys at the oscars they, they carry the briefcases you know and they got them all chained up and they're under lock and key and they're like the they're like studs when they walk out there all dressed out and everybody knows they got they know something. And they got something no one else has. They're supposed to guard that with their life. You know why? They've got fear and trembling about them to make sure that nothing happens with the innards of that case. That can't go to anywhere else. No one else can see it. It's kind of like I've been given the launch codes. Some really hairy stuff can go down. And I'm in the place where I get to carry that around. Live out your salvation with this sense that I have got fear and trembling about it. An amazing gift has been given to me. We just finished the NFL draft yesterday and um, maybe your team got better. or Maybe your team picked a quarterback that you have no idea why they picked him. It just could have, could have happened. But every year the same kind of things happen. There are people who get drafted who no one saw them coming out of high school. And there were people who were can't miss prospects, and they go undrafted. They've probably played their last football game. And and experts who study these kinds of things talk about. They say, you know, it's not that that these people aren't gifted. They've been they they received a gift, but for so many of them, they just chose to kind of let the gift be itself, and they never chose to d- develop the gift. And it costs them. Here's what's true about me. And it's true about you. If you're in the room and you say, I have given my life to Jesus Christ. I have said, I am yours. If The song, the new song is fantastic with the words of this. You know, I've cho- my life. You own me now. If that's true of you, then, 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 then this is also true of you. That there is a calling on your life now. It's not a cumbersome calling. It's an invitation to the best your life can possibly be. It's not the easiest life you're possibly to be but it's the optimal one because you've got the opportunity now to to tease out what it means for a person who lives in your house and works at your job and is married to your spouse or has your parents or your children, a person in your particular situation, you get to show what it looks like for God to be at the center of that and, and his glory to be displayed in that situation. That is an amazing calling. How do you develop it? It's very simple. In verse 12, he says, he just uses the word, You obey. Not a lot to that. You obey. God says, here it is. I'm going to give you very clear directives. Choices to make. To do what is wise. To do what is right. To do what is holy. To do what is pure. To to do what is healthy. I'm going to show you what those things are. And then then now it's your turn. You do your part. Work out your salvation. Choose it. Develop it. Now, that's our part. Now, let's talk about what God's part is. And this is where it gets kind of kind of cool. If we consistently do that, God steps in and He goes, okay, that, you did that, now watch, watch what I do. Verse 13. It is God who works in you. And two things are mentioned. To will, which is your will. God is going to be part of crafting your own choices. God is going to God is going to get in the mix with your will. He's going to work within you to make the right choices and to act according to his good purpose. God activates and engages in your life as you do your part. The Bible has this cool little thing it says several times. It says, guess what? We get to be co-workers with God. Co-workers with him. God is the, does amazing things. We get to be part of the team. We get to be part of the, the manifestation of that. God's going to do stuff and we get to play. Here's an example of that in 1 Corinthians 3. So neither he who plants nor he who waters any, anything, are talking about the human elements, Paul Apollos, spreading the gospel, it, meaning they're not anything by themselves, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants, man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labor and then it says this because we are god's fellow workers co-workers and you are god's field when we take the step that we say i'm going to make the choice i'm going to step out by faith i'm going to change the activity i'm going to choose the moral ground i'm going to go his way then god says now watch what i do when you do that i'm going to work within you both to will to make your choices and to produce a purpose, a good purpose within you. There's a meshing that happens. Paul, Paul had this, this cool phrase he uses in Colossians 1. Again, he's in prison when he writes Colossians. And he says this, to this end, I labor, okay? He's working. I'm doing the work. But I'm, and he says, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You don't get his energy engaged until you do your part. But then when you do, he steps in and goes, now watch what I'm going to do. And he does that which you cannot plan, which you can't foresee, which you can't contain or control. God does the God stuff, but he only does it when it's in partnership, where he's working within us both to will and to do of his good purpose. I've got an illustration of this that is the worst illustration you're going to see all day. All right? but I'm going to use it because it's just so doggone cool. Okay? Now, the best movie that you did not see in the last three years was called Pacific Rim. And it's the coolest movie that you didn't see. Maybe some of you did. But it's because it's got robots, giant robots, and it's got, and it's got giant mon- alien monsters who come out of the sea, and that just makes it a good movie. I'm sorry. Now... Something happens, in, and I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm, now you're gonna go watch the movie, you're gonna go. Okay, I'm not telling you to watch the movie. It's a really bad illustration, because I'm just equating God with what these robots. Okay, here's what happens though. The, the earth is going, is under siege, and the, and humans bond together, and they go, what can we do? And they get the technology to develop these cool giant robots that basically have people inside them, two people who are partners, whose brains are wired together. It's, it's, it could happen, okay? And the hydraulics are set up so that when they take action, these giant robots, which are like hundreds of feet tall, can throw, they throw the punch, and the robot throws the punch, and the coolest things emerge when you see it happen. And suddenly the guy's inside, I've got the actions going, and the big giant robot does the cool, and he's like standing in the ocean. It's the coolest thing. And then they go marching, and the robot starts marching, and then they get to take on the giant, lizard-like alien creatures coming out of the sea, and they win, and it's the greatest thing ever. (laughs) And that's what Jesus is like. (laughs) Hang with me. In that scenario, you don't know where the, pers- the man and his will starts and the robot ends. They're kind of meshed together. There's a power beyond their own that kind of comes into play because they mesh together. They work together. So you ask the question, who did it? Who fought the enemy? Was it the robot that fought the enemy or the men who fought the enemy? The answer is Yes now bring that to where you live god has made this arrangement when we take the initiative to work out our salvation god gets engaged with it both to will and to do according to his purpose and you can't quite tell where you end and god begins all you know is he does something he moves He acts. It's God in you that makes you stronger than you could be. That increases our capacity beyond our own. That changes the direction of things. That makes the ceiling higher than we ever could have thought it would be. And so, what that looks like in real life is, I find myself needing to have a conversation. And I wish God would solve a problem. And God says, have the conversation. Have the conversation in faith. Do it because it's the right thing to do. And then I'll, you watch me get involved. I need, I'm need. i asking God to, to help me with this addiction problem I've got. Well, I wish he would take it away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. And God says, take the initiative to bring it out into the light. Take the initiative to confess it. Take the initiative to get some help. And then watch what I do with it. I want to, I want to see God... Do something in min- a ministry to happen, and, say, and, and you just wait for God, and He goes, No, you, you act. If it's from me, you act. And then I'll get involved. And that brings us to that thing for you, for me. That, that thing that you right now are wishing for and waiting for is something in your character you wish would change, something in your circumstances that you wish God would do something about something that you're praying for God to move about. And often what happens is, God. sometimes God will just intervene. That's fine. But this partnership is such that God, he's, this is a tendency of God, Paul says. You want to optimize what he's doing, then he's waiting for you in your part of the deal. What that means is, he does not want you to be passive. Some of you... Some of us in the room, you have something going on, something you're wanting to see happen, something you know should happen, something that's consistent with what God's character and his word would say, his ways, not just your idea, but you know it would represent him well. And some of you are putting it all on him to do. You're just putting it all on him, saying, do it. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? I asked you. I'm trusting you. Would you do this? But God doesn't ask us to be passive like that. And it's not. And he also doesn't call on us to make it conditional. Where we say, God, okay, you do this and then I will do my part. There's a faith element of taking that step. And it's terrifying sometimes. It'll cost you sometimes. You put yourself at risk. If there's no guarantee, there won't be pain or discomfort with it. And God says, I'm waiting for you. You take the step and then watch what I do to work in your will And work according to my good purpose within you. Let me just ask you this today. What is awaiting your step in verse 12? What's awaiting that? Something in your marriage. Some kind of action to take you further to deal with the things in your marriage. Something in your addiction or in your habits or a particular sin that just keeps coming back what's waiting for you to take the step what's waiting for you when it comes to serving finding a way to advance god's kingdom sacrificially giving for him of your time or your talents or or your money what's waiting for you to take that step to do that and your outreach to somebody who you long to see come to know what you have found the freedom and the joy and, and, and the life that Jesus Christ really gives people. What is waiting for you to take the step? And here's what we need to know. When you take that step, when you do your part, you never act alone. He acts along with you. He energizes His good purpose, and He says it's a good purpose. It's a better better healthier way it may not be the most pleasant it may not be the easiest but it's right and it's healthy so many of us myself included we want to see god move don't we we want to see him move we want to see him do something in some situation or in our own heart or in our life or in our circumstances we'd like to see him come out of nowhere and and do something Do you want to see him move? Then it's your move.